0: If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to James and we're going to be looking at at James chapter three. And really, it's just one verse that we're going to kind of, you know, lean into today. And uh, it's a verse. It's really it's packed full. And and I I believe that there's a lot that the Lord wants to do through uh, his word this morning. Um, And of course, you know, we we've been uh, kind of wrestling with some sticky topics. And I, I'm not introducing each topic until the Sunday of, and so next Sunday you'll have to wait to see what we're going to talk about, and you have to come back and worship with us so you can be a part of that. But uh, again, we're just kind of dealing with some, some difficult things, a- and how we're processing, how we should process you know, some of the topics, as, of course, as believers. And so we're going to be in James chapter 3, looking at verse 17 in just a moment, in a little bit. But before I do that, I, I want to invite you to listen in to a dialogue. And uh, so I just invite you to listen. Good morning, Bob. It's good to see you. Well, good morning, Pastor. Thanks for coming by. Hey, no problem, Bob. You're a good friend, and I love spending time with you. Say, Pastor, I, I'm struggling with something. Yeah? Yeah, I, I'm struggling with what, hap- what is happening in our society today. I mean, it seems like there's so much chaos and frustration and issues that have such a polarizing effect And even sometimes even with people in the church, I get it, Bob, I get frustrated thinking about some of these political and social issues that have become so divisive. I mean, I do. I get it. But what specifically is on your mind, Bob? Well, pastor, it seems that there are issues that are good ideas and seem to be in line with biblical morals. But they have been so politicized and so much a a part of the secular agenda, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. In fact, just because some of the issues I'm thinking of have become secular, I just don't even want to have anything to do with them at all. Bob, you're correct to be concerned, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It is true that sometimes the world takes a good idea and turns it into something political. Or something that is more about promoting an agenda or a grab for power, rather than the Christian good of God's kingdom, Pastor. That's my point. Some of the talking points, like equality, racism, and immigration, are legitimate concerns. But these concerns oftentimes stand on the same platform or are lumped in with other interests that are not biblical. I guess the rub for me, Pastor, is. It's people's motive. I mean, I'm wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with, with people's motive. Now, I'm going to come back to that dialogue in, in, in before the, the message is over. But, but I, I want to kind of jump into some, some thinking today, some questions. Like, like, what do we do? I mean, where are we at? Remember last week we we're talking about, you know, loving our, our Muslim neighbors. We we're talking about, you know, loving that Buddhist neighbor or, or you know, that, that that there is this call that we are to love. In fact, someone said, and I love this quote, that compassion is the most direct proof of love. Compassion is the most direct proof of love and even as we are wrestling with you know elephants in the room so to speak and that's what we're doing we're gathering here we're wrestling with these challenging topics but i guess the question is i mean how far do we go you know to be relevant i mean if we're progressively thinking and maybe you're more progressive than others but the question is i mean how far do we slide out how far do we go to be relevant and, and, and how do we balance the tension between political correctness versus being biblically correct? And maybe even the word verse shouldn't even be there because it's just, you know, hey, it's just one idea as far as, you know, what, what's biblical, So, so guess I, I want to address really what is the believer's response? What should, you know, the Christian's response be, you know, to this, this issue? And I think like last Sunday, I began with the foundation. So I, I want to lay a little, a little bit of foundation as We think about political correctness, which, you know, for the matter of time, I'm just going to say PC, we understand that. And so with some research, I and when most of us here this morning can remember that that it's really, you know, this whole movement, this ideology is not that old. It began in the 90s. It's a movement that proposes to expose and eliminate intolerance, oppression and sexism that exist in this country. And when we think about it, I mean, just at face value, I mean, addressing The oppression of people different than us and being politically correct means that we treat people of different backgrounds with respect and do not stereotype them based on the race and gender and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just based on that fact, just at face value, we could say, yes, this is very much biblical. I mean, what is the the mission of of this movement, the Church of the Nazarene, to make Christ like disciples of the nations? And there's no borders and, and and we're all you know part of the family of God and we're part of God's kingdom. And so we understand that. But but to quote uh, or mention a quote that kind of makes fun of the hyperbole or the emphasis or exaggeration on human sensitivity, I, I want to share this with you. One soldier responding to his uh, superior officer, he said, "Your statement is factually incorrect. However, sir, it's politically correct." <laughs> and I don't know if that's that funny, but it, it leads to a reality that outranks reality. I mean, I'm trying to process that, that idea, a reality that outranks reality, and I'm not sure how biblical that is. See, but the problem with focus on human sensitivity and the, the focus on self, I mean, this idea of that, you know, okay, it's, yeah, I understand it's about self-esteem, but the, on, the problem with focus on, on sensitivity, human sensitivity, is that it begins to eliminate God from the equation. You know, making goodness a political strategy rather than a conviction of faith. It's, it's like building a city on a, a floating foundation and you're trying to keep it up and then there's a hole here and then there's a leak over here. And all of a sudden there's this chaos in life and it's just sinking and sinking because we're trying to keep it afloat. And we find ourselves in the midst of chaos. And, and remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about the believer's response. I mean, the Christian believer's response to some of these, you know, issues and some of these topics. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 3, it reminds us whether you're black or white or whether you're one nation or another. Or whether you're on one side of the river or the other side of the river. or Whether you're on that side of the track or this side of the track. That we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In fact, in Ephesians uh, one three, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. Man, there is no greater Invitation than to be a part of the family of God. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Amen. And I think we should note that before political correctness was ever born. Listen to this. Before political correctness was ever born, believers loved one another. (laughs) We didn't love because we were pressured by society to do it. We loved because Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples because why? Because you love one another. John chapter 13, looking at verse 34 and 35, and then we can find a summary again in Second Timothy in chapter 4, around verses 2 and 4. And I understand it's not politically correct to say that the only way, you know, to heaven is Jesus. I understand that that that's not going to be embraced by the world. But then what do we do with the idea when Jesus says that I am the truth and the way and the life? I mean, how do we balance the tension then in this reality? And and the fact is, as I look at the word and I mean, even understand the history of Christ, that truth is not always popular. In fact, they crucified him because he preached the truth. And again, I may not say things the way that you want me to, but let's hang in there. I mean, really seek the wisdom of God, because it's only in God, godly wisdom that we'll be able to discern what God's good and perfect will is for his glory. Amen. And so we go to our passage in James chapter three, looking at verse 17. In fact, this is again, I mentioned it before. I mean, it really is profound. Some see James as kind of a, a commentary on on the Gospels. But here, as we look at the idea of 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 what we're discussing this morning. Um, We go to James chapter three. Let's do that together. We go to James chapter three and we're going to be looking at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, remember, pre-verse 17, just before this, uh, James was talking about earthly wisdom. Really demonic wisdom and he was talking about wisdom that was not from above and and how that is not the wisdom that we seek as believers. I mean, if we want to be in step with Christ, that we are going to seek wisdom that is from above, wisdom that is pure, wisdom that of course is uh, is from the Lord, and and in fact, it kind of gives us a chart that we can you know use to respond to some of these ideologies that come our way when we're asking ourselves, okay, as a believer, I mean, as a Christian, where do we stand on this? In fact, let's look at the verse and let's break it up in really three different parts, and so I'm kind of calling it a chart, but really three different parts. And the first part is is wisdom that is pure, or the word pure there, which is the opposite of repulsive foulness, as one commentary would state, or or it is the opposite of spiritual rot. And there's some great imagery there, but is the idea that it is something that is from above, of heavenly origin, that is pure and is coming from God, and we think of the Lamb that was slain. We think of Jesus Christ that became flesh, and we think of the transformative power and the life-altering power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that when Christ comes into our life by sovereign divine appointment, that things begin to happen and transform. Transformation happens because we are beginning to adapt to something that God has called us to. I mean, if there is adaptation that is to happen, should we not be adapting to the righteousness and the holiness of God? Should that not be the adaptation that that happens in our life that is right and true? I mean, I guess the question is this. Are we shaping and informing our culture or is our culture shaping and informing us? And you say, well, how can we really shape our culture? I mean, that's a a pretty big impact. I mean, think what happened. Jesus, what he did 2000 years ago, is still shaping and informing our culture today. How does that happen? We see it in the book of Acts. It is by the power of God. It is by the power of God working in us as we speak and we teach the truth of Jesus Christ. So we let our wisdom be pure, our wisdom that is from above. And as we are encountering these ideologies, we ask ourselves, is this the wisdom of Christ? Is it from above? OK, that's the, the first part. The second part of the chart, really, or the second part of the verse is peaceable. Gentle and entreated to be and and treat ourselves to other, which which means easy to be one, which is not, by the way, one over. But but to be to be one and to be in embracing those that that we have relationship with and, and loving them as Christ would call us to love them. Even in the midst of justice and equality and all that so that we are focusing on the right motive. And, And it means that we're not so close minded that growth cannot happen because there might be something that is true. There might be something that is missing there. In regards to our own life, and, and as we look at these different ideologies, we might be missing something that we've not, you know, had our attention drawn to before. I mean, here's the shocker. We've done some really great things as Christians through the millennia, but folks, there are some things that we've missed. There's some things that we're not really doing that great with, and maybe it's possible if we are willing to listen that we're going to learn and we're going to grow how to do some things better than we've done before. And you say, man, I want a takeaway on this. Well, maybe the first takeaway is this: that we don't spend so much time banging out our own opinion, and more time listening to what maybe people have to say. And as we are listening, we can uh, we can begin to understand. Um, I've had people kind of surprise me, and they've said they've said, "Man, Pastor, he really understands." And the interesting thing about that is I didn't agree, and I didn't explain to them what I understood. I just listened. Because there's power in listening and people. Yeah, they they believe that there's this understanding that's happening. If if you're listening, you take time to listen. And and then we, of course, entreat ourselves to others. So I guess what I'm saying is until we can win people to ourselves, we will never win them to our savior. Did you catch that? Until we win them to ourselves, we will never win them to our Savior. And so you see this polarizing and this fighting and whatever it might be is not going to be the way to win them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we look at the last section. Go with me there. Kind of the last part of the chart, so to speak, is to be merciful. Uh, Good fruits and without partiality, which means, by the way, direct translation is is not double minded. That means that that we are singular in our our mindset and in seeking the holiness and the righteousness of God. And we do this by showing mercy. According to the word of God, that we are are showing mercy and we are showing gracious accountability and gracious accountability means with love that we are holding people accountable by proclaiming the truth. As we remember that Paul does with Peter in Galatians chapter two, Dr. Bob pointed that out for me and that in Galatians chapter two, we remember uh, what happens there's Peter is, is beginning to kind of separate himself from the Gentiles. And Paul confronts him and says, what are you doing trying to build something up that you've already tore down? It is by grace that we're saved and not by works and not by the law, but it's by the grace of God that we're saved. And so Paul holds Peter accountable and he's very bold in doing that and say, I guess what I'm saying is gracious accountability is risky because you risk you know upsetting somebody you risk being rejected you you risk all kinds of things because you're teaching the truth of the word of god and and so we we find ourselves that um, no matter what happens in a world as chaotic as it becomes it's the church that is called to step up when the world steps out And I think what we see that's happening around us is especially in some of the the topics that could be social topics or even moral topics is that the world is taking, you know, the lead on building the kingdom and they're putting a lot of effort in building the kingdom, but they're doing it without the king and what we need It's not just the kingdom. We need Jesus Christ. We need the king in our life. That's the bottom line. And then as we look at the passage here, it is with fairness and goodness that we may recall Paul's list of the fruits of the spirit, love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And then we have to go to first Corinthians chapter 13, which the greatest of these we recognize the greatest of these is the love of Christ. And then in the midst of this, I mean, if compassion is the most direct proof of our love, I mean, that's the statement, that's the quote, that compassion is the most direct proof of our love, then we have to remember that it's in the midst of this compassion that we reflect the teachings of Christ in our lives. And that we not forsake the teachings of Christ in our lives because he was boldness. To teach, He was boldness to proclaim truth. He was bold in lifting up, of course, what it was that God had sent him him here to do. Now, back to our conversation. And the pastor is speaking. Bob, what we have to remember is that Jesus represented the truth. That Jesus did not water down the truth, nor did he soften when speaking truth to the rabbis. In fact, he was so bold in speaking truth that it frustrated the rabbis to a breaking point. History and the cross proves this. Take the idea of oppression, for example. You know the idea of equality? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we read, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, of course, Paul, Bob, was talking about those that are part of the family of God. And then we have to look also at Ephesians chapter 6, Bob, because here we read that the children are to obey their parents and slave their masters. But then what he does, Bob, is he, he switches it back around and, and he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, masters, you're not to mistreat your slaves. You see, the whole idea, Bob, what he's getting at, he's talking about respect. He's talking about the spirit of submission to the right authority and, and talking about the dignity that, that we show one another. That's, that's what he's talking about. Now, Bob, I know what we like to have things fit neatly in their own category. That's just the way we are as human beings. But it is likely we're going to have to take each individual issue and topic and ask ourselves, how do we respond to this as believers in Christ? How can we be compassionately loving as Jesus would be, but yet faithful to the teachings of Christ? I mean, if, 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 this, if the best proof of love is compassion, then Bob, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with compassion? Pastor, I get it. I really do. You're saying that we should be like Jesus. We, we should really be like Jesus. And this does not always fit neatly into a box or a political category. This has helped me a lot, Pastor. I want to commit to you right now, Pastor, that first and foremost, I will be compassionately loving and face the new ideologies that test my faith. I don't want to let you know, Pastor, that I'm going to be open to what Jesus is saying to me, being faithful to the teachings of Christ, so that I might be Christ for others. That's a great idea, Bob. As Pastor puts his arms around him and gives him a hug. That's a good idea, Bob. Let's be Jesus. Let's be Jesus to others. Congregation, let's be Jesus. What a world that we're living in. What a, what a time that we're, we are walking through. Not only as believers and individuals, but as a church, as the body of Christ and community. What a time that we are facing. A time that we need to rally in the presence of the Lord that we can say that we believe. We know what we believe. Now we need to put that into action. Now now we need to put that to shoe rubber and to live out that belief and to live out that faith and to live out that love for the glory of God. That God might be lifted up and glorified as we become the church that God has called us to become. And I I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you about and how he's been moving your heart. But I, I know this. I know that the enemy is the author of chaos and confusion and the enemy loves to cause problems. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to say, enemy, get behind us. Because God is a God of order. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring unity. And I don't know what the Lord wants to do in your life. I know he wants to bring peace. What a simple thought. God wants to bring peace to you. I want to invite you just to bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes. Precious Father in heaven, I know that, that Lord, that you're speaking and you're moving in that heart right now. I pray, Father, for that marriage. And maybe they've... They've been through a time that's kind of been stressful, and they need peace. I pray, Father, peace for the marriage. I pray, Father, for that home, and it seems like people are maybe, and family members go in different directions. I pray, Father, that you bring peace and order to that home this morning. I pray, Father, for, yes, our nation. I pray that, Lord Jesus, that that there would be peace. It would begin to just drape over this nation, that Father in heaven, that as the church, that we would know what it means to be your people. I pray that, Father in heaven, that we would rise to the challenge and that we would be your voice. And then in a the spirit of unity, God, that we would proclaim the truth. That we would not ignore your teachings, but we'd follow you, Jesus. Yes, that we would be you, Jesus, for your glory in the midst of whatever we're going to face. And maybe this is so real that there's somebody in this room today that's going to be going into a very difficult situation this week. Maybe they have co-workers that are just anti-God. I pray, Father, that you would give that one the spirit of peace. Give them the right words. May they be as gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent as they share the truth of Jesus Christ with their co-workers. As they share the truth truth of Jesus Christ with their neighbors. Maybe we may we be faithful, Father, to your call. May we be faithful to your your anointing as you ordain us as your church, as your believers, to live out our faith the day to day, Father. I believe it can be done. Yes, there's some challenging things going on. Yes, there's some sometimes polarizing topics. But Father, it's you that we recognize it's our Savior Christ that we lift up today. And so, Father, we lift you, we worship you, we praise you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom. Thank you, Lord, above all else, giving us the evidence and the proof of love. And that's compassion. And so, Father, I pray that you just speak to that one right now. Give them peace as they learn to live their faith out. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.